All right, as we continue the Swipe Right series this weekend, we're so glad to have you at all of our Fresh Life churches, every other church joining in, those online. Thanks for being a part. Uh, we, last week, were talking about some of the lies that our culture tells, some of the lies that we believe about sex. And, and I think one of the big ideas that sort of is a myth about sex and romance and dating is kind of this idea that marriage is a drag. Kind of like, you know, you better, and that's, that kind of maybe feeds this whole idea of like, you better get all this wild living out of your system while you're young, because once you go to the altar and get married, man, everything from then on, it's just all going to be devoid of fun, devoid of passion, just completely lacking in spontaneity and anything crazy, because that's just when the real, you know, kind of like prison sentence begins. Kind of this idea, right? We, we see this in movies, we kind of see this idea. I was reminded of it uh, when I read an article in Time Magazine a while back. There was a whole kind of cover story on marriage, and the whole sort of like magazine was given over to these little mini articles about marriage. But kind of the, the, the main article began this way. It said, there's a reason fairy tales always end in marriage. And that's true if you think about it. Romantic comedies, fairy tales, they always end in marriage. And they, they explained, it's because nobody wants to see what comes after. It's too grim. Meeting the right person, working through comic misunderstandings, these are stories worth telling, even overcoming disapproval from family to get to the altar. But plodding on year after year with that same old soul, Yonsville. This is the lie that the marriage is lame. This is the lie that there's, there's no fun after the kind of initial spark and chemistry and sizzle and passion and newness of a relationship. After that, it's just that ball and chain, year after year, same old soul. While I was reading it, I was reminded of sort of the advice that well-intentioned friends and family even would give to Jenny and I when we were kind of dating and then engaged, and especially as we were moving towards getting married. I don't know what it was, whether just it was people who had really had bad experiences or they had just bought this lie that that's how it was. But I kept having people kind of put their hand on my shoulder and kind of like almost the advice they were giving me was like, hey, brace yourself. Brace yourself. First year, it's going to be tough. Only thing tougher in the first year is going to be the second one. You know, and then year three is going to be brutal, and year four is going to be savage, and year five is going to be painful, and then year six, oh, good Lord. And then year seven, you know, seven year itch, right? So it was just like, oh my gosh, it was just kind of this bleak. Like people that I could see like the whites of their eyes, like, you know, it's just, it's just it's, it's, you're going to be okay. You're going to get through. Just call me when it's really dark. I was like, and so I, I kind of went into marriage. I don't, I don't know what, it, what, what Jenny's thoughts were, I should ask her sometime, but I remember I kind of went into marriage really like, like terrified a little bit, like when is it going to get terrible? Like when is it going to be brutality and, and, and savage and, and like I, I kind of went into it like Maximus going into the Colosseum, like I was like facing a gladiatorial combat a little bit, like I was like, I, I, you know, honestly, and I'm not saying there, there's not challenges. But what I would say is this, I, the, one of the biggest surprises to me about being married is how fun it's been. Uh, so, like, uh, take it for what it's worth. I'm a guy, been married 10 years, and I want to tell this to you. Marriage is amazing. Right. Marriage yeah. is ridiculous fun. 
There is so much fun to it and so much passion. Really, it's what you want it to be. So if, if, if you think it's got to be ball and chain and same old, same old, and no passion and no spontaneity, well, that's your choice, I suppose. But the way I've looked at it is it's a slumber party with my best friend that never ends. It, like, it is so much fun. And we laugh. And we, we, we get to do things and explore things and see things. And, and, and the last thing on my mind is starting up a new relationship with someone else. Because of all I've had to work through with my my wife. We've worked through stuff. We've got through stuff. We've bled together. We've cried together. We've laughed together. We have so many inside jokes. We have so many stories. I tell her all the time, if you ever leave me, honey, I'm going with you. I'm telling you, that would be like <laughs> taking all my money out of one savings account, leaving the bank, going across the street and opening up a new account, having to start all over again. You can't get interest if you don't let something sit there for a while and mature. I'm just, I got, I got blood equity and sweat equity and tear equity all up in this relationship. And it has been so much fun. Interesting thing is, the same article, it went on to say this, admit this later on. Studies do suggest, like almost like as a concession, that married people will have better sex, better health, and wealth, and will probably die happier than singles with a lower likelihood of strokes, heart disease, and depression. Married people also respond better to stress and heal more quickly. But it's a drag, and it's terrible, and you, you're probably not going to want any of it. <laughs> Yawnsville. You turn into an X-Man when you get married. You'll heal quicker. I'm just like, <laughs> like, I love it. That was buried. That's not the lead. Oh, sure, you'll be richer and happier, but uh, Yonsville. <laughs> what? <laughs> and I just love how clever the devil is. You got to give him some respect a little bit here and there. He has gotten us to hate on something that he broke. Wow. He took something perfectly fantastic, marriage, and got us to approach it in a way different than how God intended. And then when the results were disadvantageous, right, when the results were not pleasing, when we got out of it what God didn't want us to get out of it because we did it differently than God wanted us to, right. he then was like, it's marriage's fault. No, it's not marriage's fault. It's your fault, Satan. You're the one who tricked us into approaching it in the way that God said not to. And now you're blaming it on marriage. We should do away with marriage. Marriage is terrible. Here's what God's word says about marriage. Here's how I like to look at it. Find a good spouse, you'll find a good life. And even more, the favor of God. If you approach it God's way, there's something powerful. There's something of a blessing. There's something of God's favor. It will enrich your life. It's a wonderful thing. I just came to church this weekend to celebrate marriage. I think marriage is awesome. It's a blessing. It's a gift. You find a good spouse, you receive favor from the Lord. I'm not saying it's easy. Did you hear me say it was easy? I didn't say it was easy. I would be lying. And, and, and really, in this world, that would just be lunacy. Because 50% of marriages in America end in divorce. And 67% of second marriages end in divorce. And 73% of third marriages end in divorce. So it would be absolutely insane for me just to stand up and be like, no, marriage is easy. What I am saying is that marriage is worth fighting for. That's what I want to talk to you about. Marriage isn't easy, but it's worth fighting Four, there's something of a blessing you can get to. And you know, study after study, it shows that if you can get through the difficult phase, if you can get through the difficult days, there is a great blessing that kicks in. There's an exponential increase of your enjoyment of it that kicks in, enjoyment in sex, enjoyment in satisfaction, far more than if you run off to try and find someone else. That's the approach the enemy wants us on, and it has worked for so many of us. And God has something better. And I want to talk to you this weekend about how to fight for. Why I think, this is my mess. I'm making a case. Ready? Why you should fight for all that God wants for you. 
whether you're married or you're single or you've been divorced or you're currently going through divorce, I don't care where you're at. And this whole series, the tone of it, the Swipe Right series is, comes at us this way, from this day forward. Because I didn't come to try and make you feel bad for things in your past. I came to fight for your future and to help you fight for your future, because that's God's mentality. He never tries to rub our nose in the carpet of our, of our shame. He rather tries to get us to understand there can be a brighter tomorrow. OK, so I don't want any of you to hang your head and slump your shoulders in condemnation, because I can't do anything about what's in my closet. You can't do anything about what's in yours. But we can make decisions to live carefully today and protect our future if we'll hear God's voice. So from this day forward, we're going to walk forward from this moment perhaps with a different thought in mind as to how to approach the time that remains on the clock. If you have a Bible, please join me in Exodus 17. If you have a mobile app, it's amazing that we have so many resources to be able to jump into God's Word on our phones, on our iPads, on our laptops. For those of you joining us, Church Online, we're really glad. Come on, help me welcome those who are joining us on the internet. We're glad to have you. Exodus 17 is an interesting story. It takes place just after the children of Israel left Egypt, and they're trying to make their way to the promised land. And one of the initial things that happens, we talked a little bit about this week one, when they got thirsty and the bitter water was made sweet. But another thing that happened to them pretty much right after they had come out of crossing through the Red Sea and were making their way towards uh, what, what would eventually be a 40-year-long journey to get into the Red Sea, never mind that it took a lot longer than it was supposed to because they didn't do what God wanted them to do. But they, uh, they got attacked. They got attacked. There was a fight that broke out uh, from this, this people called the Amalekites. And they were attacking the Israelites. Now, here's what's interesting. In the Bible, a lot of times, God compares his relationship to his people, both the Jewish nation. A lot of that shows up in the Old Testament, but it's still, still through the New as well. Uh, but specifically, with regards to his people that he's formed the church, this mysterious, beautiful thing that, that now has been revealed through what Jesus has done. And he compares his relationship to his people to a marriage relationship. And he'll talk about someone coming to know Jesus as, as though someone had entered into this, this wedding. One of the names for the church in the Bible is the Bride of Christ. So, so really, you have in the Israelites leaving slavery, coming towards the promised land, you have them kind of entering a honeymoon period in their relationship with God. And it just lines up so well with reality that right after they enter into this honeymoon period, there's a wild, crazy, savage fight that they have to deal with. And what we're going to try and learn from and how we approach our relationships, fighting for all that God wants for us. Why? Because God's plans are worth fighting for. We're going to try and learn from the strategy that they employed dealing with this difficulty. If you have your Bible, Exodus 17, we're jumping in in verse 9, where it says, and Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men. How redneck is that? <laughs> choose you some men, right? Was you from, I didn't know Moses was from Kentucky. That's awesome. Choose, hello to those watching Church Online in Kentucky. We're glad. Yeah, like I just offended a whole church watching this series. And I love, we love your fried chicken. We have nothing but love for you. All right, choose you some men. Right, spitting in the spittoon, and go out. It's just how I read the Bible. I apologize. My mind is a bag of cats. Tomorrow, I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses 
Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And Father, we pray that through your word, you would speak to us, God, that we would see something that would help us to live the lives that you want us to live. We pray, God, that you would just breathe on this gathering that we're a part of. We pray above all things that if there's anyone listening to this message who's far from you, who does not have that hope that you want us to have, that sense of purpose and that sense of peace and that, that fearlessness that can characterize our life if we know where we're going to go when we die and we know what you're doing while we live. We pray that would happen. We pray for salvation. We pray for strength. We pray for a good kind of conviction that would steer us away from decisions perhaps we're making that would, that would cause us to enter into unnecessary anxiety and regret. And we just pray for healing and victory even now. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. We all said together, amen. amen. One of my favorite stories I read in a book by a man named Tommy Nelson. His, uh, his writing in this book was called The Book of Romance. And he tells this marriage story that I just think is awesome. It's uh, about a, a woman who was in her kitchen one day. And uh, her husband came in. And her back was turned to him. And she was you know, pouring some coffee, getting ready to go to work. And, and he approached from the back and saw this, this zipper that ran down the back of her dress. And, and he, he, um, he liked what he saw. And so he decided to come kind of cutely come up behind her and sort of play affectionately with her zipper a little bit, unzipping it a little bit, and zipping it back up, and unzipping it a little bit, zipping it back up. And she, she wasn't in the mood. Uh, she, <laughs> she rebuffed his advances. Stop, I have a meeting, I have a meeting, I have a meeting. And, and he, 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 you know, he, that only caused him to accelerate, unzipping it a little bit. Oh, come on, honey, zipping it, unzipping it a little bit deeper, zipping it. And she turned, I said, stop it. She turned real, real hard. And uh, when she did, he had, he had the zipper pretty firmly in his hand. It tore the zipper off the dress. She didn't love that. And uh, what he didn't know was that she had picked this dress out intentionally for this meeting today. And she, was, she had just picked it up from the dry cleaners the day before. She, had, she just had picked out in her mind this dress for this moment, this meeting. Her feathers were ruffled, shall we say. So she stormed off, uh, changed, and left without even saying goodbye, just, just mad. And she just kind of steeped in that all day long. That's how a girl is, right? He, guess how much of the day he spent thinking about it? <laughs> Zero would be correct. He, he had moved on, right? Someone said once that women are like spaghetti and men are like waffles. Men are like waffles because everything goes in its own little zone. Work can be doing bad, but your sex life can be great. That has nothing to do with that. You had a bad day. It doesn't really matter. Different zone, right? This is my <laughs> recreation zone. This is like a fight over here. I don't bring that in over here. It doesn't affect that. Men are like waffles. But women are like spaghetti. Everything pulls on everything. You pull on one thing, it, the whole glob goes, right? <laughs> if something's going wrong over here, they can't just deal with this other area. It affects it all, right? That's probably some of the best marriage advice you'll ever get. <laughs> so... 
he hadn't thought about it at all because it was a different zone. Now he's in his work zone. I got butter and syrup in that zone. And uh, when, he came, when he came home and she arrived later, she was still thinking about it where he wasn't at all. Well, she came in uh, to the, the driveway and saw her husband uh, under the car, working on, on the car, doing something mechanical. Only his legs were sticking out, including his zipper. So she decided, now it's time for, for vengeance to visit my husband. And she, she came up to him, and she grabbed his zipper and unzipped it a little bit, and zipped it up a little bit, unzipped it a little deeper, zipped it up a little bit. She how you like these apples, right? Zipping and unzipping and zipping and unzipping. And satisfied that she had, she had uh, given payback to him for what he had, his sins of the morning, uh, she, she, she went into the kitchen where she was stunned to find her husband standing. <laughs> at the counter, pouring himself a cup of tea. And um, she was very surprised to see him. She, she said, what are you doing in here? He, I mean, he's just caught off course. He's like, oh, hello, I, I live here. I, uh, what are you talking about, right? Not, not at all tracking with her. And she's like, you're supposed to be under the car. She went pale, you know? You're supposed to be under the car. He's like, why, why I haven't been under the car. Who's under the car in our driveway? He said, our next door neighbor, the, the muffler. He, he offered to help. I'm getting him tea. What's the matter? She, of course, explained to him what she had done. And they both hurried out to find a pair of legs sticking out from under the car with a zipper halfway down, just, just like a statue, not moving an inch. They called out to him, no response. <laughs> so finally, they wheeled him out. He was out cold. He had done what anybody would do if you were under a vehicle working on the muffler and you felt your zipper all of a sudden open up. He had sat up <laughs> straight into the car. That's a great story. Come on. That's a great story. I don't even care if it's not true. It's a good story. The point is, in relationships, conflict is inevitable. Why is that? Well, one of the reasons, especially within marriage, is because whatever God begins, Satan opposes. That's his modus operandi. Whatever God begins, Satan opposes. And in marriage, you have something supernatural that takes place. If you were here for the first installment of the Swipe Right series, uh, we talked about how uh, the two become one. And really, we've continued with this thought that this sexual act and this gift called marriage, it's more than physical. So there is a, a, a union that happens when these souls are mingled and you come together in the marriage bed. And what God does is he brings two that we're living separate lives to that point, and they become one. That's Genesis 2.24. The man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife. The two become one flesh, OK? The moment that happens, the devil always opposes whatever God begins. So you should expect to see some opposition. If that's true, you should see opposition right away, OK? So 2.24, they come together. 2.25 of Genesis tells us they were naked and not ashamed. What's that? That's the marriage bed. What's the next verse in the Bible? 3.1, now the serpent. Interesting. Back to 2.24, man and father, young man leaves his father and mother, joined his wife, 25, naked, unashamed. Next verse, now the serpent. Naked, unashamed, now the serpent. Naked, unashamed, now the serpent. It's 
a chapter division in our English Bibles, but there wasn't chapter divisions added to later on. So the idea is the next exact thing that happens, the next up. The moment there's a union and two became one, now the serpent. Why? Because he wants to un-one the two. Why? He knows what you need to know. Unity releases strength in any endeavor. These of you, those of you who are leaders in, in industry, leaders in business, where there's a unity, there's a power that flows. The, the moment you start to get little kingdoms and little silos, and this is my team, and this isn't my job, and we have these, every, everyone starts to get into factions. That's, that's the moment unity weakens and power crumbles. God has built the universe in such a way that there is a commanded blessing on unity for good or for evil, where there's a, a sticking together to a vision, a common language, a common identity, businesses that, that thrive and are successful almost develop into what has been called like a cult-like following, right? Apple fanboys being almost fanatical about something. What is that? That's the power of unity. That's the power of everyone believing the same way and fighting in the same direction. There's, there's a commanded blessing on unity. And that's why the devil, one of his main strategies is all always to divide so he can conquer. He'll do it in a church. He'll do it in a family. He'll do it in a team. But where there's a selflessness, a losing the ego, a losing the pride, and coming together to be a part of something bigger than yourself, there is tremendous power and strength that gets released. And that's what God intends to come out of the marriage bed. When two become one and they lose themselves into a forgiving and a freeing and a loving and a gracious and a, a, a spirit of hospitality, when, when they lose their own, this is my right, this is my time, and you spent this, so I spent that. When there's a one team, one scorecard, when you know the better that my wife is doing, that's the better that I'm doing. So to fight her is to harm me. I got to fight for her and love her. When there's that kind of a mentality, when there's that kind of a spirit, when there's that kind of a selflessness that would characterize a church, watch out. Watch out. I read letters sometimes we get. I got a letter recently, and they were, they were complaining about our church and the crowd. They were complaining about how it's hard to get a seat and hard to get in. And, and that mentality, that's just a consumer mentality, isn't it? That's the mentality of a spectator who treats church like an event. I'll come and watch. If there's not a seat for me, if it's not convenient, I'll complain. Like I'm calling the movie theater to talk about a seat that didn't work or the cup holder that wouldn't come down. Right? That's, that's the mentality of someone who's coming to consume. But when your mentality is, I am a part of the church, I am the church, and we exist for the world, there's, you're losing yourself as a part of something more powerful than just yourself. Right? And that's how it should be in a good church. That's how it should be in a good marriage, a good company, a good team, nonprofit, whatever. There's just something so wonderfully refreshing about humility, isn't there? And isn't there just something so obnoxious about pride? And pride refuses to be assimilated. Pride refuses to go along with the flow and toe the line and, 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 and keep the main thing, the main thing, and the mission paramount. And, and I just think in, in a good home, there should be that losing yourself in, in, in unity. And the devil will try and get you to resist. The devil will try and get you to say, not me. The devil will try and get you to say, not, not this time. And he did, and she didn't. And right, that's the idea of division. But where there's division, there's weakness. And where there's unity, there's power. So the moment the serpent sees something that's powerful happening, he doesn't just look here. He sees follow through. 
He's not just scared of you and your wife enjoying a good life and having a healthier life and less risk of heart attack. and all, all. He sees generations of what could happen if you rise up and take part in God's plan. He sees the legacy. The devil is scared of the fact that your grandkids, grandkids, grandkids are going to tell the story of your selfless, united, humble relationship and want one like that for themselves. So he wants to create dysfunction and pain and brokenness and unhealthy living here so that down the road, they're scared of marriage. They think marriage is wrong when really it's just the approach that was wrong, not the institution. So if you're not going to think follow through, I can guarantee you the enemy is. He's looking to your great-grandchildren and already planning their addiction to drugs. He's already looking at the fear. He's already hoping for depression. He's already planning out the suicide attempts. He sees the pain that comes from leaving God's best for your life. And he's not just looking here. He's trying to stop the power down here. That's why in all we do, we must think follow through too. We have to do anything we can to stop him from getting in between us, which is his plan. One of the reasons I wrote Swipe Right was so that we could trade predictable nearness for mind-blowing intimacy and to stop the enemy from getting things in. Even single people, listen to me, things into the relationship that will come between you before you even meet each other. We can stop so much stuff off before it ever shows up. By, by, by dealing with these things in our single years and, and living a life with a mind towards the future. So what sort of stuff will the enemy try and get between us? Obviously, things like a unforgiveness and harboring grudges. But I think even something as simple as debt, financial difficulties. Debt cited in a lot of divorce cases, right? It's till debt do we part. That's, that's, that's the new marriage vow. And, uh, and of course, the phone, social media, this can come between, right? Uh, you see those, those posts on Instagram, like what couples look like in bed. It used to be just like the feet on top of each other. Now they're both lying this way, and the glow of the screen of their phone is now on their, on their face, right? It's, it's, a, it's a new thing to do. Uh, of course, work and all the difficulties of making ends meet, and should I take this promotion? It'll, it'll take more of my time. I'm already working a 60-hour work week, but my family needs the money. Well, then you have to say, like, does my family need more money or more of me? And these things can get in between us, and a promotion that would take you out of a, a church life that you're planted in. And you know, I've, I've said before, it's like, well, this job would take me away. Well, is there a church where you, you know you're going to be thriving in? Are you pulling your kids out of a, a, an environment where they're spiritually healthy, where they're pl plugged in and doing really well? Yeah, but there's, there's more money at this job. I can give them a better life. Well, I hope it's a lot more money, because I hear rehab's expensive. So um, you got to make those decisions very carefully. But even the kids themselves. Kids can come in between uh, a man and his wife. And I have these tiny, cute little baby children with their arms raised. They're naked, too, that they found for me. And they're very small. They're petite. They're on the little side. Uh, but, but the kids can come in between the marriage. Because where it's already a challenge, you know, this relationship you have together. And, and now I should probably put the credit card in front. I'm a little OCD, but it was too small so you couldn't see it. And uh, you, you have the children. Uh, now in this relationship. And so you're not just husband and wife. You're also mom and dad. And sometimes people mistakenly lay down the husband and wife hat, and they pick up the mom and dad hat. And that's the only one they really give thought to. And that's the only one they really give care to. And how it should be is Jesus at the center, and marriage first, and kids second. It should be, it should be Jesus at the center, Marriage first, kids second. 
But unfortunately, sometimes, once the child comes in, mom or dad or both completely abandon the needs of their spouse, and they put the child at the center of the, of the relationship, which is an absolute disaster as it plays out. What this looks to, what this translates to oftentimes is an empty nest revealing an empty marriage because it has been not prioritized like it should. It's anemic and sickly and malnourished because it has not been given the love and the attention and the energy because every time the, the kid comes, mom, dad needs something, they, they stop talking to their spouse and talk to the kids. What should be, hey, your mom and dad are talking right now. We'll be with you in just a moment. The, the marriage is meant to stay. The kids are meant to go. So to put the kids at the center is to build a plan that's not sustainable. Because if everything goes right, the kids at 30 will not be living in your home. Your son living at 30 in your house, living that is not success. There are arrows meant to be launched out. So they're meant to be shot out. They're meant to be released. They're meant to go start their own family. They're meant to go do great things for God out into the world. So we have to have a mentality that cuts the apron strings even before the umbilical cord is even severed. That's the mentality. And our goal is launching them out. And I think a lot of times, what part of the mistake is the kids have nightmares. So the kids just sleep in mom and dad's bed. Kids sleeping in between you, literally having a child in between you. Dear ma'am, dear sir, there should be things happening in your bed that would haunt your children's dreams forever <laughs> if they were to be witness to them. Little Johnny, I will comfort you after your nightmare, but you're going back to your bed. Door is getting locked. Little Smooth Jazz is getting bumped from this room in here. There are things that are happening in this bed that we cannot have you in between us for. And if you won't date your spouse, the devil will find someone who will. And that's how Wonder Woman gets involved. Because <laughs> my wife is only ever thinking about the kids, and my wife only ever really puts makeup on and gets dressed up when she's going out with her friends or doing something at work. She's not dressing up just for me. And she's not, she's not taking care of my needs. She never comments on how strong I am. Not me, my wife. Oh, man, she can't take her hands off of me or her eyes. But, <laughs> but then Superman shows up, because two can play at that game. Hey, girl. Hey, you come here often? If I was your husband, I would. What? So now what's happened? It's gotten real crowded up here on this top tier of the cake, where it's just supposed to be Jesus and each other. And that's it. So why, that's why we have to fight to keep things in their proper place, their proper perspective. Social media has a place, just not in between a marriage relationship. And debt, if, if it's there, you're, you're going to have to figure this out, but it's not, you're not going to let it come between you. And yes, you got to pay the bills. And yes, you got to work. And that's, that is important, but it's not the priority. And yes, these kids, they're wonderful little, wonderful little things, but we're going to stick them here. <laughs> they are wonderful. We love you, children. You just can't be on our cake. And what about uh, Superman? And well, guess what? They're not even getting on this cake, so step off. <laughs> so we. Here we go. How about we start fighting for our relationships and not just in them? How about we start fighting for all that God wants us to experience? Jesus put it best. What God has brought together, let no one split up. So that's the mentality. That's the game plan. In the book, I talk a lot about honor. Honor kind of dominates the swipe right book. I think it's a word that really speaks of life that God wants us to inject into this powerful thing that is sex and is romance. And just, we've talked a lot about it. We've talked about honoring sex by recognizing that we didn't come up with it, that God did. 
And if he invented it, he should be allowed to tell us how to utilize it. And that's not wrong for him to do so. That's not hateful. It's not, it's not manipulative. He invented it, so obviously he knows best how to use it. My, my, my receiver went out on my home stereo system. And you know what I did? I went to Pioneer's website immediately. I didn't go to Yamaha's. I didn't go to Onkyo. I didn't go to Vizio. I went to Pioneer because I knew innately if they made it, they're going to be the ones to tell me how to use it. Let me tell you something. If what's happening in your sex life, in your romance life, in your marriage life isn't going well, if you're not getting the results that you want to get, perhaps you should consult the owner's manual because God is the one who came up with this stuff. And honor is what this book says we should, we should, we should approach all of these subjects with, honoring God, honoring people. Listen, honoring ourselves as having been made in the image of God and all of these things. And so we've talked a lot about what honor is and how it looks like and why it's so important. In this message, I guess the big idea is the word of warning. That's great to say, I'm going to take a stand for honor. That's awesome. Yay. Uh, but know this, it takes strength to rise up in honor. It takes strength to rise up in honor. It's not going to be easy. It's easier said than done. Okay? It's going to take a lot of work. That's how you spell a great marriage. W-O-R-K. Work, 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 work. Right? That's how you're going to get to this great marriage. That's how you're going to get to this great relationship that God wants for you. It's going to take, it's going to take work. It's going to take sweat. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be moments when it's going to suck. Single people, for you to hold out for God's best, there's going to be isolated moments, Friday nights, weekends sometimes, spring break trips that friends are going on. And you're going to feel like, I'm just getting the short end of this deal. And that's why you always have to zoom out and think follow through and think big picture. And the strategy that you got to employ to get through this time, to get through this mindful, and then once you're ready to continue on in that plan that God has for you and to, 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 to make sure your spouse is nourished so the relationship can flourish, I think we should employ the strategy that Moses and Joshua demonstrated for us. Now, what did it look like? It looked like these two simple steps. Moses raised arms, and Joshua drew his sword. Yeah. Moses raised his arms, and Joshua drew his sword. Moses said, I'm going to get a couple of guys and go on top of the mountain. I'm going to raise my arms up with the rod of God in my arms, which is a symbol of God's power. Same staff he held when the Red Sea was split, when the Nile turned to blood. Okay, So demonstrating God's power, and him raising his arms up was accepting God's power. It's the symbol of a life surrendered. You ever wonder why people in church around you might raise up a hand or raise up two hands, or when they're new to it, they kind of throw the Frisbees, which is kind of mid, mid, mid hands, right? And the single, the single girls always raise their left hand high. Single, 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 ready to mingle, ready to see me get my praise on, right? We raise our hands up as a symbol of a life surrendered. It says, God, I need your strength. God, I need your power. Moses was showing us that we have to raise our hands up to the heavens. But Joshua, down below, was drawing his sword. So Moses said, I'm going to go pray, basically. I'm going to go worship for this battle with the Amalekites. I want you to go fight. I want you to go get your sword out. I want you to go fight like you've never fought before. What does this tell us? It tells us to get where God wants us to get. It tells us to experience what God wants us to experience. It's going to require both praying and having a plan. It's going to have to be spiritual and logical. It's going to have to be theological and intensely butt nuts and bolts practical. I almost said butts and nolts, but that would be kind of like swiping wrong. you got to keep swiping. Right. 
So it's going to have to be a plan that you have and a prayer that you pray. I think a lot of times people have this let go and let God mentality when you should say, I'm going to trust God and get to work. This is what we got to do. Raise up your arms like Moses. Yeah, but then draw your sword like Joshua. Arms raised and swords out. Arms raised and swords out. Trust God, yeah, but don't be dumb, all right? So two points of application, one from Joshua, then one from Moses, and then we're done. From Joshua, we learn to keep a cool head. Keep a cool head. He was doing practical work. And I think one of the practical steps we can take is to make, make sure and maintain a cool, level head. Interestingly enough, the cheetah is the fastest land mammal, since you asked. <laughs> they can reach speeds of up to 75 miles an hour. When I was in Africa recently, one of the highlights of the trip was getting to go into a cage with a live cheetah. And I was a little scared. And uh, they said, you can't get super close. You can kind of maintain a distance. And after I handed the keeper some cash, I got as close as I wanted to get. <laughs> and here's the, the up close and personal selfie with the cheetah in Africa. It was amazing. This thing walking around, it was, it was claws were out. And it was awesome. And, uh, and, and one of the interesting things that I read in a Smithsonian article on the cheetah is that they can only run till their brain hits 105 degrees Fahrenheit. At 105 Fahrenheit, which is at the top end of their 75 miles an hour, they, over, they start to overheat. Of course, you can imagine the strain on the muscles to run like that. Their brain hits 105, and they have two choices. Option one, stop, pant until their brain cools off. Option two is die on the spot. But if they keep running, they, they can't keep living. The gazelle, which is what they're commonly chasing, can run until their body is at 109. And at 109, their brain will still be at 105. Because every time the gazelle breathes in, the newly inhaled air passes through a chamber that the blood is piped by on the way to the brain, and it cools it off just a little bit just to give them the ability to achieve a higher body temperature before their brain goes into a state of, of heat that would not enable them to keep on living. And that's why if the cheetah doesn't catch them right away with the element of surprise and take them down early, the gazelle has a higher top end speed and has longer endurance and can, of course, get away, the one that got away. Why do the, the gazelles live when they live? Literally, this is a case where cooler heads prevail. Wow. Know about yourself as you try and draw swords on temptation and you try and deal with these big things that get in between you that oftentimes they will start small, as small as a little fox. Song of Solomon puts it this way. Let us catch the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines because our vines have tender grapes. Apparently there was a Middle Eastern fox that would come in and eat the buds that would never get to mature into ripe grape plants. And so if you can wipe stuff out small, it will never have the chance of growing and growing and growing and become a problem. So we got to draw our swords on the little foxes, things that you technically could justify. And I think oftentimes when temptation's concerned, especially with pornography and flirtatious kind of friendship relationships that could blossom into a full-blown affair and mistakes eventually, I think if we would cut these things off when they're small and keep a cool head before we get into those situations where the flames of desire are stoked and like a, a, a stallion that will impale itself on a fence to get to a mare in heat, there comes a point when the, the blood is just pumping. It's so hot, and you're not thinking anymore. 
And so if we can avoid the situation of temptation by cutting things off small before they ever have a chance to get big, then like Joshua, we will be drawing our swords on the things that would eventually cause us to live lives of sadness and regret. And I think that's the decision that we should make. Keep a cool head. It's also good advice just if when you're in a fight and you're flustered and you're losing your mind and you're about to say something you'd regret and you're about to go nuclear and do something and say something that you will not be able to take back because words are like toothpaste and when they're out of the tube, you don't suck them back in. That you take a breath. Be like a gazelle. Cool your brain down a little bit and really think through what you're about to say. Is, not, is, this, is this good practical preaching? Is this helping anybody? Take a breath. Take a lap around the block. Take a drive. Go do your yoga. Do what you got to do. Just cool your temper. Well, don't be hot yoga. Your head will get too hot. <laughs> All right. Second thing, and we're going to learn this from Moses. I'm going to need a little help to act this out. Moses would tell us to build your life on the rock. That's what Moses would say. Joshua was like, hey, keep a cool head. Draw your sword. Moses was like, yeah, arms raised. And, and in acting this out, we have, to, we have to see this in action. Moses was on this hill with the rod of God in his hands, right? That's his thing. He's standing out. I'm going to go stand on this hill, and I'm going to raise up my arms. But his arms got tired. And the Bible says that he, got, he had a hard time keeping on praying. He had a hard time keeping on worshiping. And just like we do, sometimes it's difficult to keep our, our heart with God hot. Sometimes it's hard to make the right decisions. So his arms would droop. And when his arms would droop, so would the power for what Joshua was doing down below would diminish. And when the arms would go down, Joshua would start to lose. So Moses got some friends, Aaron on the one side and her on the other side. And they were so awesome because they brought with them a big old cinder rock. And when they brought the cinder rock, he was able to sit down on it. And they each grabbed one of his arms, and they held him up in the air. And so what he had done is he had hacked his life to make it easier. And now he's sitting there with his good friends beside him, holding his arms up. And all day long, all day strong, he's fighting the battle because he wasn't doing it alone anymore. His life was now built on the rock like yours will be if you make some wise decisions and surround yourself with the right people. Come on, you got to build your life on the rock to keep your relationship from being on the rock. That's what, that's what God wants you to know. And it makes a difference. I could do this all day, by the way. You know, there's been studies that have done, that have found that when a married couple attends church together regularly, prays regularly, reads the Bible, and takes their faith seriously, they're as much as 35% less likely to divorce. These little decisions put God first. They build your life on the rock. And then the right, with the right people in your life, it makes it much easier to do the right thing. Come on, it's good, right? Yeah. You like that? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to preach the rest of the sermon like this. But here's what's really interesting to me is the silhouette that you're seeing. Look at the silhouette that you're seeing. You see three figures, and you have this horizontal crossbar. You have these three figures and a horizontal crossbar. What does that remind you of? It kind of reminds me of the story in John's gospel about Jesus dying between two criminals. <laughs> Because when Joshua was down there, the Bible says, until the sun went down, they were on top of the hill. Moses' arms were steady. But for sunset to happen, now these silhouetted figures are on top of the hill. The Bible says that on top of this, this, this little mountain called Calvary or Golgotha, or the place of the skull, Jesus died in the center. And these two other men hung there on the cross. And as Joshua looked up and saw this picture, there was an eerily similar moment in time to what was coming. 
you have the spiritual power coming from Jesus to sustain the difficulty down below. And that's what I'm hoping you'll see, that as you fight for all that God wants for you, and you find your arms are getting tired, you find your arms are getting weak, you find you're resolving and slipping, that if you'll just lift your eyes to Jesus, his spirit is prepared to give you the power to do what you cannot do on your own. Would you pray with me? Father, we're grateful for this time in your presence. We're thankful for the power in your word and the plans that you have for us that are good. As we're praying at all of our churches, if, if you would just say, God, I've received something from you this weekend, would you just raise up a, a hand just to let God know, I receive and I surrender my life. I want to surrender my relationships. Maybe you're surrendering pain. Maybe you're, you're young and looking forward to all that life has. And you just want to say, I want to commit to what God wants me to experience. Maybe it's the exact opposite. Maybe you've gone through so much difficulty, but you're just saying, hey, I hear you, Lord, and I want to make a movement. Maybe not a huge leap, but one small step towards what you have for me. Just raise your hand. And Father, bless each of us. I pray you bless our marriages, our relationships, to catch these little foxes before they can grow up into full-blown problems. Bless your people now. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for this teaching from the Swipe Right series. And if during that message you made a decision to give your life to Christ, we just want to say congratulations. And if you go to freshlife.church, you can go up and click the No God tab Fill out the information there, and we would love to send you some resources that's got a Bible and some other stuff in it just to kind of help you in these next steps in that relationship. And if your life has been impacted in any way through Fresh Life, we would love to hear about it. So on that No God tab, just click the Share Your Story link. Let us know what's been going on, and those stories are like jet fuel for our team here and for the Fresh Life family. If God has worked in your life through Fresh Life and you want to partner with us financially, all you have to do is click the Give tab and you can fill out the information there and either set up recurring giving or uh, just give a one-time gift. Thank you so much for joining us for this message and we will see you next week.